1: Welcome to Legal Talk Network and Workers' Comp Matters. This is Alan Pierce, attorney at Pierce Pierce Napolitano in Salem. We're bringing you another edition of Workers' Comp Matters with our guest, Janice Skillings-Goff. Before we get into our topic today, which will be Social Security Disability and Workers' Compensation, we want to thank our sponsor, Case Pacer, practice management software dedicated to the busy trial attorney. To learn more, go to casepacer.com. And also, uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor, PI Now. Find a local qualified private investigator anywhere in the United States. To learn more, visit pinow.com. As I mentioned, today we're going to talk about Social Security Disability. Jan is a very experienced workers' comp and Social Security Disability attorney. She practices, coincidentally, right here in Salem, Massachusetts, law offices of Janice Gillings Goff, and she is also off counsel to another law firm that we know and love, Pierce Pierce Napolitano, also here at 27 Congress Street in Salem. And Jan, I first of all would like to welcome you to another edition of Workers Comp Matters.
2: Thank you, Alan.
1: Okay, Jan, you handle a fairly large caseload of Social Security disability claims. Let's begin by just a basic overview of who might be entitled to Social Security disability and how they begin the process of trying to collect Social Security disability benefits.
2: People who might qualify for Social Security disability are people who have long-term injuries. An injury that is less than 12 full consecutive months long does not qualify for disability, even though the claimant might be totally disabled during that time period. So if the disability, which means the inability to Engage in substantial gainful activity, which is a term of art, a legal term. If that disability is 11 and a half months long, uh, the person does not qualify. But many workers' comp clients, in other words, injured workers, have a disability that lasts sometimes years. And we always recommend that in that case, apply for Social Security disability. You can get both at the same time.
1: What are the eligibility requirements? I know you have to have a certain amount of time paying into Social Security through your payroll deductions, and you also need to, there's a waiting period or almost a deductible, so to speak, is there not?
2: There is. If you have a traumatic injury, you can certainly apply right away. You don't need to wait. But the first five full months are non-payable, and that means... Six months after you became disabled, your benefits can start. In terms of eligibility, one has to have enough of what they call work credits or quarters, and it depends on the worker's age. And they do also require, so, so the older you are, the more work credits you need. You also need to have five out of the last 10 years have worked during that time. doesn't have to be all consecutive. You might have had a couple of years off where you were injured or in school or doing something else, but as long as you have five full years out of the last 10, you can then apply the credits that you've accrued over your lifetime of working to then have it pay back for you almost the same as an insurance policy would.
1: And what would the benefit be if somebody is 42 years of age, they receive a, an industrial injury, they're going to be out of work a year or more, they've got the necessary quarters? What level of, you know, normally we think of Social Security, you retire at 65 or 66, early retirement, obviously, at 62. What does somebody who qualifies for Social Security disability obtain? Do they get the benefit they would have gotten at full retirement age?
2: Often that benefit can be even more than their retirement benefit. And uh, depending on their, uh, obviously, if they retire at the full benefit age, which would be, in my case, it would be 66 years old, it could come out to about the same, depends on how much has been paid in over the worker's lifetime. So that lower paid workers are going to have lower social security disability, higher paid workers are going to be higher The highest paid workers may end up having a benefit that's a bit higher than their full retirement.
1: All right. We know if somebody gets injured on the job, the employer reports the injury to the workers' comp carrier. The carrier then investigates, begins payment, or denies the claim. The case, if it's denied, goes to the state agency that administers workers' comp for a determination by a comp judge or a commissioner or whatever they call them. How does one initiate and how does one then? carry through with a Social Security claim that might be denied?
2: First off, you have to actually complete an application, and there are different ways to do this. Uh, It can be done online by going to socialsecurity.com and following the chain through to disability. I know that this won't be popular with the Social Security Administration for me to say this, but I don't recommend doing that couple of reasons, um, you cannot backtrack and fill in information on an earlier page when you do it through the computer. Once you complete a page, you're done. You have to move on to the next page. It's a bit cumbersome, and I've had so many clients complain that once they hit send and they believe their application is complete, it actually is not received by Social Security. So what I recommend is make an appointment either in person or on the phone with a social security representative and actually have them enter your basic information, name, address, social security number, where you've worked, what's wrong with you, and and where you've gone to the doctor. And then they will give you usually a multi-paged form to take home to explain a little bit further about how your disability impacts your daily life. Certainly an attorney can help you with that and take over from that point on.
1: Okay, so what's the time frame? Once Social Security gets the application, they send for the medical records, or do you recommend sending medical records directly to Social Security or a combination?
2: That's an interesting question, and it depends on the, the claims person at Social Security who is actually processing your claim. If you try to give them your medical records, they often say, we don't want it, we want to order it ourselves. Maybe they're afraid that it would be incomplete, I don't know. They do have the claimant sign a release to get the records. No harm in giving them your your records. What I recommend is get an attorney, let the attorney order the records, let the attorney read the records, and then give Social Security what they think are the important salient records that will support your case.
1: Okay, Social Security gets the records, they approve the claim. How long does that take generally?
2: About 30% of applicants get approved right away. Well,
1: what's right away, a month,
2: um, It could be a month or two months. Social Security isn't really held to a timeline, but roughly one to two months. And then the claim is sent to Baltimore to be processed in terms of figuring out, calculating the benefit amount. And about a month after you see, receive your approval, you actually get your benefits. So that's about 30% of the claims. Are
1: the benefits retroactive?
2: Yes, they can be retroactive depending on the date of injury If you take the date of injury and count forward, you cannot receive actual benefits. And let me clarify that when I say date of injury, I mean date of disability. When disability began and the claimant left work and couldn't work anymore, it's six months after that. However, for those people who apply a little bit down the road from when they became disabled, you can only go back one year before the date of application. So it depends on where that falls.
1: Is there a time limit within which you have to file a claim, statute of limitations, for lack of a better term?
2: Not exactly. However, a claimant remains insured for purposes of Social Security for five years after they stopped working. And what I mean by insured is that the disability itself has to have begun during that five-year window after work stopped. And if you wait beyond that window, you can still apply, but you need to go back in time and show that one was disabled during that window and continuously disabled afterwards.
1: All right. I notice um, a number of our clients, when they go in to apply for Social Security Disability, which I think for this question further, we'll call it SSDI, they're oftentimes given another application for something similar to that called SSI, or Supplemental Security Income and they're confused by that. It's a dual application, two types of benefits that seem to come from the same source, have the same letters, and oftentimes people may qualify for SSDI, but not qualify for SSI. Just quickly, what's the distinction and difference between those two programs?
2: Okay, um, Alan, SSI, or Supplemental Security Income, is basically for people who do not have enough work credits, perhaps they have not worked enough in their lifetime, they're disabled, and in addition, they are low-income, and I like to refer to it as welfare-level poverty. They need to have less than $2,000 in income and assets, so anyone who owns a home would not qualify.
1: So Social Security disability has no, I guess what they call it, a needs test. You could be a multimillionaire and still be eligible for Social Security disability. Obviously not for SSI, correct?
2: That is correct, correct.
1: Okay, so before we take the break, let's just quickly talk about the process. The application is done, Social Security Administration gets or obtains on its own the medical records, the determination comes back one, two, or so months later, and it's denied. And it's denied usually for a reason that a review of the records indicates while you may have a disability, we, the SS, Social Security Administration, believe you can lift 10 pounds, you can do modified work, what is the process for challenging that denial and what's the attorney's role in that and how's the attorney get paid?
2: Okay, the attorney is uh probably someone you should hire immediately and not wait. But at any rate, the attorney will then file an appeal, which basically just says we disagree with this determination. Uh the claimant is unable to work, and there's a, a form to fill out that talks about your updated medical situation, who you've had recent treatments with since you applied. Often people who are denied the first time get denied the second time. After the second denial, there's a request for hearing before an administrative law judge. Unfortunately, it can be one year before you actually see the judge. And so it's really a long waiting game. And Your attorney will then write a brief, prepare you to testify, make sure the judge has all the medical records and reports from doctors, uh, specific reports requested to prove disability, and will attend with you at the hearing.
1: And how is the hearing conducted?
2: The hearing is for this area, the Salem area. It's done in Boston at a hearings office before a judge. It's informal, small room. The only people present are the judge, the claimant, the attorney, and possibly a vocational expert, or, in some cases, a doctor. No one else. There's no one else in the courtroom. Fairly informal, ranging in time from maybe uh, 30 to 45 minutes long, and the claimant is asked a series of questions.
1: And the judge takes on the role of the questioner, so he is he or she is both the judge as well as in effect, the, not so much the attorney for the government, but certainly the person drawing out the information, and the claimant's attorney generally, at least our experience, has been does what's known as not really cross-examination, but additional examination to bring out something the judge may have missed?
2: That is correct. In my case, I usually ask a lot of questions, but the judge, depending on the judge, some will just get the basic name-address and then turn it over to the attorney. Many of them ask quite a few questions before they turn it over to the attorney.
1: And these questions pretty much revolve around activities of daily living, how the injury uh, affects them occupationally as well as socially. Do younger workers have a more difficult burden than older workers? And does Social Security actually in their regs make a distinction between younger and older workers?
2: They absolutely do. There's something that is loosely known as the grids where uh, there are different age levels, and different requirements for each age level. So anyone under 45 years old is considered a younger individual. It's harder to get on Social Security the younger you are because there's an assumption that you're in better shape to do some form of work, and it's also harder to get on the more educated you are because the assumption is that you might be able to do some form of sedentary work even if you couldn't do your old job, which was more difficult.
1: All right. I think this might be an appropriate time to take a short break. And when we uh, return on the other side of a few messages, we'll bring the area of social security disability into the workers' comp arena and see how these two systems complement and compete against each other uh, on occasions. So we're going to take a brief break and we'll be right back with our guest, Janice Skillings-Goff on Workers' Comp Matters. CasePacer is the leading practice management
0: software for today's workers' comp and plaintiff's attorney. Named one of the fastest growing companies in America by Inc. magazine, we've given attorneys and their staff the ability to work from anywhere on any device. By automating workflows and streamlining non revenue generating tasks, CasePacer enables firms to grow their practice at minimal cost. To see CasePacer in action, contact us today at casepacer.com. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com.
1: And welcome back. This is Alan Pierce on Workers' Comp Matters with Attorney Janice skillings Goff, where we are walking through, in relatively short time, the myriad of complexities sometimes that face our clients in uh, navigating the social security disability system. So where we left off before our break is uh, we've either had somebody approve for SSDI or they've gone through the hearing and we presume that the administrative law judge will award benefits. What statistically is the chances just sort of generally of somebody prevailing at the judge's level as opposed to the uh, earlier levels?
2: I don't have a precise statistic, and of course it varies from state to state, but in this northeast region of New England, uh, used to be much, much higher. Uh, Judges seem to be more conservative now. If I had to take a guess, I would say 87 to 90 percent prevail at the hearing level. Okay. Now,
1: somebody is on workers' comp and they're getting a percentage of their average weekly wage as a either temporarily totally disabled or permanently totally disabled worker. So here in Massachusetts, a permanent and total disability worker would get 66 and two thirds percent of his or her average wage. Uh, So let's assume the average wage was $1,000 and the person is getting $667 a week. Social security disability, of course, is a monthly benefit rather than a weekly benefit. 4.3 4.3 weeks in a month for calendar and Social Security purposes. So how is the benefit calculated for SSD? And then how is it calculated if somebody's collecting workers' comp?
2: I hope you're not going to make me do calculations, Alan, because I don't have a uh, I'm not going to hold you to the dollars, but yeah. just a concept. So Social Security disability, uh, as I mentioned earlier on the first half of this segment, is calculated based on the claimant's earnings over their lifetime. It's actually quite a complex formula, but the emphasis is on the best of the last five years that they worked. Now, the way it interfaces with workers' comp is that your workers' compensation benefit for any given month plus the Social Security together cannot exceed 80% of your average current earnings, which could correspond to average weekly wage for workers' comp purposes, or it could vary slightly from that. But it's the two together can't exceed 80%.
1: Okay, so the worker getting 66 and two-thirds, that leaves a gap of another 12 or so percent. And that would be the, the Social Security benefit would be reduced. And you would get a benefit that is equal to the difference between the workers' comp and the 80% of the average current earnings, which I think for our purposes we call the ACE. 80% of ACE is a math calculation. You take the comp rate, you multiply it by 4.3, you measure that against the ACE, and uh, you get the difference up to 80%. I know there's also another very important reason to get on Social Security disability other than the monthly benefit, even if it is greatly reduced by the worker's comp, and that is health insurance.
2: Right. Once an individual has been deemed to be fully disabled for two years or 24 months, they are then eligible for Medicare, which can be a very big benefit. Medicare may cover other illnesses and ailments that are not covered by the person's worker's comp insurance because they may not be injury-related.
1: Yeah, another thing to point out is that even though Social Security disability uses a similar metric to determine total disability than does workers' comp, workers' comp claims and disability claims under workers' comp, the industrial board, the insurance company, are looking for the effects of the work injury. And it's oftentimes the work injury that prompts the Social Security disability claim. But you don't want to overlook the fact that a Social Security Disability Award can encompass more than just the work injury. So if you might have a work injury that is to your wrists but have substantial other non-work-related conditions, that may not impact the entitlement for workers' comp. But how does that help your Social Security claim?
2: Well, Social Security looks at every ailment that, from which the claimant suffers. And the standard is whether an impairment or a group of impairments together render the person disabled. And a great example is after a worker's been out of work for a long time and is in chronic pain on medication and possibly not sleeping, they often become depressed and anxious. And certainly psychiatric treatment for that can be submitted along with, for example, back injury treatment, to bolster the social security claim.
1: Yeah, you may have somebody with an underlying diabetic condition and they might otherwise be a surgical candidate, but because of the risks associated. So it's great to keep in mind that when you are applying for social security disability you're telling your client to, you don't wanna just limit it to the work injury that put you out of work, but any medical condition that preexisted the work injury or came up subsequent. One thing we didn't cover is how do you get paid?
2: Social Security, uh, the Social Security Administration controls how the attorneys are paid. It's the same for everyone. It's 25% of retroactive benefits, not to exceed $6,000. So a person uh, is eligible to collect uh, six months after they became disabled, maybe it's two years down the road that they actually get in front of a judge, that retroactive money is what the attorney's fee is based on, and the Social Security Administration holds the money out from the retroactive benefits and sends a check to the attorney.
1: And, of course, if the claim fails, you're not allowed to collect the fee. Correct. All right, so one last question before we close. A client is on workers' comp. He's getting $600 a week, give or take. He's getting a reduced Social Security benefit of, let's say, $600 a month instead of $2,200 a month because of the ACE and the 80% of the ACE, and the injured worker makes or enters into a lump sum settlement with the workers' comp insurer. How does Social Security Administration treat the monies that are paid in a lump sum settlement, and what are the ways to treat those monies in the settlement documents that is most beneficial for the injured worker?
2: The workers' compensation attorney should and, and really must Write the lump sum settlement papers in such a way that the settlement, although it's given to the worker, the the employee, all in one lump sum, is actually spread out over the worker's lifetime on paper. So you figure out by actuarial tables how long the person is supposed to live, and you divide the settlement that way so that it comes out to a much smaller amount, depending on the amount of the settlement and how old they are, it comes out to a much smaller amount per month than they were probably collecting on workers' comp, therefore not gouging, if you will, the social security payment as much, or perhaps not at all.
1: Yeah, uh, at least here in Massachusetts, we call these allocations or uh, language uh, the so-called sherada Allocations. Uh, the Sherada case is a case in which a uh, federal court upheld, and I think the regulations somewhere in the Social Security Act provides that if you designate that the net proceeds after attorneys' fees and expenses to the injured worker, let's say it's $100,000, instead of offsetting it at $600 a week or $30,000, that means it would be an offset for three plus years after the settlement. If that worker is 45 years of age and has a life expectancy to age 78, you take those number of months, divide the $100,000 by those months, it may come out to $200 or $300 a month as opposed to $600 a week. That pretty much would reduce, if not totally eliminate, the workers' comp offset. And I know you in your practice and we in our practice always add those Sharada allocations, even if the person is not on Social Security disability or may have applied or may have been denied and may apply again. You don't want the monies collected for workers' comp to end up being deducted from a future award. Janice, thank you very much for joining us on this edition of Workers' Comp Matters. If somebody wants to contact you, how how might they do that?
2: Uh, They can contact me at Law Offices of Janice skillings Goff, 27 Congress Street, Salem, Mass. All right.
1: Well, once again, I'd like to thank Janice for joining us on Workers' Comp Matters. For those of you who are listening, Please keep listening. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and tune into our next show. Otherwise, go out and make it a day that matters.
0: Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk.